following audio is from Resurrection Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about the church or if you would like to know more about when our community meets, please visit our website at resurrectionchat.org. If you're ever in the Chattanooga area, we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 a.m. We're located at 1800 Rossville Avenue in the south side of Chattanooga. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Resurrection. Uh, thank you, Chris. That's actually a great segue into what we're going to be talking about this morning uh, and everything that people have been saying. Uh, we're in the middle of a church season called Epiphany. It's not one of the more well-known ones. People usually aren't like, oh, Epiphany's coming. I can't wait. Uh, but at, at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And at Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And there's really not a lot else to talk about except for the life of Jesus in between. I don't know what else you could talk about. Uh, but that, that's what Epiphany is. Just a few weeks that Epiphany is, uh, we really focus on what Jesus reveals about himself and why he came to this earth, why God broke into this world and the person of Jesus. Uh, next week, Pastor Ryan's going to talk about the transfiguration of Jesus, where he kind of puts his divinity on full display to his disciples. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at the baptism of Jesus. All right, this is this crucial event in Jesus' life where John the Baptist cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, and again, this is, this is the very beginning of his ministry. And so Jesus is being baptized along with John's proclamation that he's the Lamb who's going to take away the sin of the world. Uh, this is Jesus saying, this is who I am. And just like Chris was saying earlier, you've got to acknowledge your brokenness and your need for a Savior for this to make any sense, for this to be meaningful. Uh, so Ryan's going to come up and read uh, John 1, 19-34. Let me pray before he does, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it's not just another book that people got together and wrote. It's not just good teachings. Uh, it's your word. It's living and active. And you promise that it can cut through our hard hearts and our wrong thinking. Uh, and so, Father, we, we do ask for your Holy Spirit to come and speak through your word this morning. Let us hear what we need to hear. Uh, if we need to be convicted, convict us. If we need to be comforted, comfort us. Uh, teach us. Show us who you are. Let us come to know you more. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love to draw your attention uh, to two things. The scripture they're going to be reading this morning and that we are already in sync with how we're dressed. See this? We didn't even talk. Uh, tan, tan. And uh, so <laughs> I, got, I got to it before you did. Yeah, it is your jacket. Yeah, he is a hand-me-down. With that being said, I have a whole lot more of the things that I'd like to talk about before uh, we get into the passage this morning. <laughs> yeah, I bet you want me to. All right. I'm just teasing. Uh, hear the word from John chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 34. Friends, this is indeed God's word, and so let's pay attention closely to it. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. And they said to him, 
What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent by, from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor a prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among one, but, but among one stands one you do not know. Even he comes from after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across from Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he from whom I said, After me comes a man whose rank before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he was sent to me to baptize with water, and said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have bore witness that this is indeed the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord, friends. Thanks be to God. I do want to say, if you've been visiting the past couple of weeks, today or yesterday, I'm new here. And so come, come back because Ryan will be preaching next week. Uh, we're just going to break this passage down to three parts. Very simple. We're going to see who is John the Baptist, who is Jesus, and so what? Why does it matter? All right. Who is John the Baptist, who is Jesus, and why does it matter? First off, who is John the Baptist? Well, it's a good question to ask because it seems like that's what everybody else was asking in his day, wasn't it? John the Baptist was a preacher. He was drawing out huge crowds out of the city to come into the wilderness to hear what he had to say and to be baptized. Uh, the other gospel accounts say that John was this like wild man who dressed in camel hair and he ate locusts and honey. Uh, he didn't have the right education. He didn't really have any kind of powerful connections in the city. And yet people were flocking to hear him preach about the Messiah, right? the Christ, the Savior that's been promised all throughout the Old Testament. And so in verse 19, the religious leaders, they say, who are you? They're wondering if he might not be the Messiah, maybe, who would bring peace and justice. Or there's another prophecy back in Malachi chapter 4 where God promises. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Uh, in other words, they thought John might be the one to come before the Messiah, kind of prepare the way. Uh, and there's another one, another prophecy way back in Deuteronomy 18 where Moses says, Hey, God's going to raise up another prophet just like me. That's what they mean when they say, Well, are you the prophet? Are you any of these people? And in verse 20, John says, uh, I'm not the Christ. Right after that, he says, I'm not Elijah either, and I'm not the prophet. 
Now, I don't think John was being dishonest here because later in Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew 11, Jesus is talking to a crowd and he's trying to explain who John the Baptist is. Because at this point, John the Baptist is in prison. He's about to be beheaded. Uh, and Jesus says, well, why did you go out into the desert, into the wilderness to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Jesus says, actually, John is Elijah. He is the prophet who's going to be in the mode of Elijah that Malachi promised like 400 years ago. And he says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. That's pretty high praise coming from Jesus, isn't it? He's saying up to this point in all of human history, John is the greatest human that's ever born. He said, in fact, he is the Elijah to come, who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Uh, and calling him someone like Elijah, he's just saying he's going to, Elijah was one of the main players, one of the main prophets of the Old Testament. So he's going to be like him. It kind of be like, uh, talk about LeBron James, like he's the Michael Jordan of his day. Right? That falls apart pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't like a promised basketball messiah. Uh, but if nothing else, this shows us how humble and how obedient John the Baptist is, isn't he? I mean, Jesus thought higher of John than John did himself. I don't know about you, but I don't think I can say that about myself very often. John said, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm no one special. And so the religious folks kind of throw their hands up in the air and they say, well, then who are you? And he responds by quoting Isaiah 40. This is our call to worship this morning. He says, I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Uh, just a practical point of application, this is what humility looks like. Like true biblical humility. John isn't concerned about what people think about him. He's also apparently not concerned about having like a healthy diet. He just eats bugs and sugar when he's on his own. That's like what my kids would do if we just left them to themselves. <laughs> John, he's not thinking, I'm going to have my place in history. I'm going to make my mark on this world. People will remember my name. Uh, John isn't thinking about himself at all, is he? He is laser focused on God and God's mission. And he, he wants to call everybody to turn their eyes to God acknowledge their sin against a holy God uh, and to receive this public outward sign of baptism for the cleansing of their sins. Uh, someone once wisely said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. I'll say that again because that's very helpful. Humility is not thinking less of yourself but it's thinking of yourself less. I always attributed that to C.S. Lewis but somebody called me out and said yeah he didn't actually say that. Uh, but we'll let him have it. Uh, but to be humble, it's not to be down on ourselves all the time. It's not to just beat ourselves up and focus on our flaws and how we just blew it yesterday or lose sleep over everything. Christian humility is simply forgetting yourself and focusing on God and his mission. Right. And if you are convinced of Christianity this morning and you follow Jesus, your mission is to go. Right? Whether that's overseas or whether that's into your workplace or into your neighborhood or into your family, your mission is to go and make disciples. Right? Show people the beauty of the gospel. Tell them about Jesus. Uh, your mission as a Christian is to be an ambassador for Christ, to be his representative wherever you are. Uh, but John, he had a very specific mission, didn't he? This is point two in the outline, if outlines are helpful for you. Who does John say that Jesus is? Look back at verse 23 again. This is the quote from Isaiah 40. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And why this is so important is that in Isaiah 40, the Hebrew word there used for Lord is the word Yahweh. 
And the word Yahweh is only ever applies to God. It's the covenant God of Israel. And Yahweh, and so John is saying, people get ready. God himself is coming. And now I've got that Curtis Mayfield song stuck in my head. People get ready. Maybe we can close with that one. Uh, but, but do we see why that's so important? People are asking John who he is. He says, I'm nobody. But that man is God in the flesh. He says in verse 30, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And we know that John, he was actually born after Jesus. They're actually cousins. Um, but the Trinity, right, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, has existed from all eternity past. Right? There has always been this perfect fellowship of the Father, Son, Spirit. There's never been a time where one didn't exist with each other. Three persons, one God. We'll let Ryan explain the Trinity next Sunday. Uh, but look back at verses 32 and 34. This is where we see John talk about when Jesus was actually baptized. It says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Uh, and again, just a side note, when he says, I didn't know him, you're like, well, you guys were cousins. You probably hung out a good bit. He's saying, I didn't actually know the, the full extent of who Jesus is. I, I didn't know he was like this Messiah who would actually come. Uh, and if you're familiar with the other gospel accounts, this is where God, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and then the Father shouts out with an audible voice, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. What does that mean? John has been baptizing everybody with water, getting them ready for God to come. Uh, getting them ready to acknowledge their sin and their need for a Savior. And he says, I'm doing all this with water. Because the Jesus, the Messiah, is going to do this with the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. My, my baptism is symbolic, John says. Jesus' baptism is going to be the real deal. Look back at verses 26 and 27. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I'm not unworthy to, to untie. Uh, so we're in Chattanooga, and man, I, I love being able to say that. I'm just going to have a huge smile on my face every time I say that now. Uh, but we're in a city where the official footwear of summer is chacos, right? Is that still true? Boot! Northern Yankees, okay. It's still true, right? Okay. The, the real Chattanoogans are nodding their heads. Uh, and I, I wear them all the time. If it's above freezing, I'll wear my chacos. And mine are pretty old. Maybe they've gotten better, but if I've worn them all day, they stink at the end of the day. Anybody else? I, <laughs> we're bringing them back, right? Uh, I mean, like when I get home, if I've been wearing them all day, I usually have to take them off and go wash my feet in the bathtub so my family isn't just disgusted by the smell that comes up out of those chacos. Uh, and so think about that, right? John is saying, I'm not even worthy of untying Jesus' stinky, dirty, disgusting sandals. Right? In their culture, if you're, a Jew, if you're a Jewish household and you had a Jewish servant, you couldn't make your Jewish servant wash your feet or take your sandals off. It was seen as that like, disgusting of a job that was just too far beyond the, the role of servanthood. And yet John is so humble and he's so aware of Jesus' holiness and his glory that he says, I'm not even fit to do the worst, most disgusting job for this man because he's God himself. The beauty of the gospel is that even though Jesus, God the Son, he is so infinitely high above us, he chose to come down and be a man. He didn't lose any of his godness. He didn't lose any of his divinity. 
But he made it so that he would be able to draw near to his people, so that he could draw near to you and identify with you. Uh, and right before he was betrayed, he was sent to the cross. Do you remember what happens in John's Gospel? Jesus actually washes his disciples' feet. If you remember that, Peter was like, no, you can't do that. This is, you're not even allowed to do this. It's disgusting. So what does that mean for us? What do we do with this? How can we be so secure in Jesus that our eyes are completely fixed on Jesus and his mission that we wouldn't care how much it costs to love others? We wouldn't care how much it costs us or how uncomfortable it is to do life with each other, to share with others the hope of the gospel? What does John say? That you've got to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The key here. And behold, it doesn't just mean to look at something. right? If, if you're considering making a big purchase, you think, ah, I need a new car, I need a house, I need some new clothes, you want to help send your kids to school. You know, for me, it's usually like, what's the, what's the next guitar or banjo I'm going to buy? Uh, maybe you want to get a really nice tool um, or a camera. You might look at a lot of those things, right? But once you find something that you really want, you're going to start beholding it. You're going to start finding out everything you possibly can about it. It's, you're going to think about it before you go to sleep. You're going to think about it right when you wake up. You're going to think, man, what can I sell? What can I get rid of so that I can, I can really have this thing that I really want? You're going to longingly gaze at it whenever you see it. Um, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What, what John is saying about Jesus, when we hear that, we think, oh, it's a nice fluffy little lamb, right? He's going to come and he's going to take away our sins. But that's not what the people would have immediately thought of when, when John is saying this. Because the Jewish men and women who were coming out in droves to be baptized by John, every single year, without fail, they would have celebrated the Passover. For centuries, Jewish people have been celebrating the Passover when their ancient ancestors were enslaved in Egypt, with no hope of escaping. God sends Moses to tell Pharaoh to set his people free. And he comes up to the first time, and Pharaoh says, you know what, I really like free labor, uh, so I'm not going to set them free. And so what does God do? What does he send? Y'all can answer me. Or not. Uh, plagues, right? Ten plagues. They were pretty inconvenient, most of those plagues. Some of them were really destructive. And it wasn't until the very last one that Pharaoh is finally sent him over the edge. And it was going to be the death of the firstborn in every household. God said, I'm going to send my angel of death over the city. And because of their oppression, because of their sin, because they refused to listen to me and refused to let you go, I'm going to send judgment on them. And if that doesn't sit well with you, I want you to know that the same applied to the Israelites who were enslaved there. God says, because of your sin, because of your guilt, the angel's going to pass over you, and it'll kill your firstborn son too. No, no one is innocent in this land, unless, unless you take shelter under the protection that God provides for you. Right? Our sin has put us in debt to God, and that debt has to be paid. And so God tells us people, he says, I want you to take a lamb, I want you to kill it, I want you to spread someone's blood over your doorway. So in God's grace, he allowed the lamb to die in the place of the firstborn son. And so when the angel of death came over, uh, if he saw the blood of the lamb covering the doorway, he would pass over that house. That's why they call it Passover. Uh, it would count the death of the lamb as a sacrifice or a substitute for the firstborn son in that household. And so from that day on, every year, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish people would celebrate Passover. They'd sacrifice a lamb, and they'd have a feast, and they'd celebrate when God allowed a lamb to die in their place. And so certainly that's part of what John is thinking when he's crying out, Behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. 
But there's one more place in Scripture I want us to touch on that definitely would have been on John's mind. Uh, this is through the prophet Isaiah. God promised that as Messiah, he wouldn't just save us, and he wouldn't just forgive us from our sins, but that he would bear our sins himself. Right? And we read this earlier after we confessed our sins together as part of our assurance of pardon. Uh, this is from Isaiah 53. God says this to the Messiah. He says, He was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Those are just ways of saying sin. It says, And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, and this is the part that really would have clicked with John. This is Isaiah 53, verse 7. It says, He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. It's when all those threads of the Old Testament come together and they kind of click into place for John that he cries out. He has this epiphany, right? He finally sees what God has been saying all along. It wasn't the cute little lambs who were actually taking away the sins of the earth. It was going to be God himself come down as man to live a perfect, obedient life, spotless life, and die atoning for the sins of his people. And be a substitute for his people. The Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world, was going to be born so that he could die. Jesus was born so that he could bleed. You see that? I mean, how beautiful must that have been to someone who has celebrated the Passover every single year of their life? You know, the Exodus was so far in the past, you can imagine the kids being like, well, why are we doing this again every year? We're not going to forget it. Right? Why do we keep doing this? Well, it's all to point towards this for the coming of Jesus, to have these puzzle pieces click into place and finally understand that the reason their firstborn wasn't struck down in Egypt is because God offered up his firstborn in their place. You do the gospel. The story of the gospel, it's essentially the story of Exodus. All right, Christianity claims that on your own, you are in bondage to your sin, uh, you are enslaved to your sin, and you'll die because of that with no hope to save yourself. And yet King Jesus didn't think it too beneath himself to take off his crown, put on human flesh and blood, live a life of sorrows that would end with him hanging on a cross like a lamb led to the slaughter, and he would willingly bear that sin. He would willingly pay the penalty in full for us. If you're here this morning or you're tuning in, if you follow Jesus, and if you don't, you're not sure what you believe, please consider this an invitation. But if you follow Jesus, you can know that God will pass over you in judgment because he did not pass over his own son. The debt's paid. You owe nothing else to God if you're in Christ. In that passage that we read earlier from Matthew 11, Jesus is explaining who John the Baptist is. Right after he says, there's no one greater born of women who is greater than John the Baptist, Jesus says this. He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Catch that? John the Baptist is the greatest person born in history up until this point. But anyone who's in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Even the least in the, in the kingdom is greater than him. Who's he talking about? You, if you're in Christ. If you consider you're a Christian this morning, you are in the kingdom of, of heaven. John was considered the greatest because he had the greatest understanding of who Jesus is, of who he was at that point. He knew how glorious, how holy Jesus is. John, more than anyone up to this point, he truly beheld Jesus. He had a singular mission to prepare people for the Messiah. But what the gospel promises 
is that any who believe in Jesus and actually follow him, you'll have a greater understanding of who Jesus is. You, you actually will know Jesus better than John did. Because you know about the cross. You know about the resurrection. Like, Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And part of what that means for us today is that not only should we be more humble than John, knowing who Jesus is, but we can also be more confident knowing that Jesus has actually taken away our sins because of his life, death, and resurrection. And he's brought us into the kingdom. Knowing that by faith you are united to Jesus, he calls you his own, and he welcomes you into his family. John the Baptist, he would cry out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the promise of the gospel is this. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your need for a Savior. Know that Jesus is that Savior. And you're forgiven. Full stop. And not only that, but for those who are by faith in Christ because of what Jesus has done for you. You know what he'll say to you one day? Face to face, he'll say, You are my son with whom I'm well pleased. He'll look at you and say, You are my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us into your family. That we can call you Father. And it's not just something nice that we say, but it is true. We've been adopted into your family by what Jesus has done. Uh, Lord, would you give us humble hearts that know our sin and know the state we are in before Jesus. Uh, but also just give us a joyous confidence knowing that just like we would never cast away one of our own children, you will never cast away those who come to you by faith. We thank you for reconciling us to you. Uh, Lord, would you feed us at this table as we come to it now? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.